0: You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. I want to talk to you this morning about faith and peace. Faith and peace. Actually, I'm going to talk to you about faith, peace, and rest. But I just titled it Faith and Peace. There are two qualities that are mentioned in the scripture many, many, many times in many ways. And they should mark our lives. They should mark the way that we respond to things in our lives. These are qualities that should be on the inside of us. Both of these qualities are related to faith and they grow out of faith. They're derived from faith. One of them is peace, which is an inward condition of your heart. You know, the scripture tells us that Jesus, Jesus actually said in John chapter 14, I give you, I bequeath to you my peace. The same peace that he has was left to us as an inheritance. The same peace that he demonstrated throughout his whole life was left to us as an inheritance. Um, it's a condition of heart. The other one is rest the other quality that should be in our lives it's rest they're related but rest is it's a posture that we take it's it's the way that we go about life it's like peace in motion it's like that inward peace Uh, in motion. It's a way of living. It's an attitude. And both of these are, like everything else that God gives us, they're distinct from our circumstances. Anybody can feel peaceful when everything's going well and everybody likes you and, you know, whatever. But when you're facing challenges, to be able to face a challenge, not only have peace, but do what Jesus did and release peace to others that's a God thing. That is the Spirit of God working through you to face um, difficult situations and a need for change and for growth and to stay in a place of rest, which is an, it's a confident posture toward God. It's a, it's a confidence in his ability to get things done rather than our work, rather than coming back to our own labor and work and make work life right, make life work right. Uh, rest puts you in a position where you're active, but you're calm about it. You understand that God is the one who is causing things to go a different direction in life. So, so we're going to talk about those things this morning. So peace, the word peace, the basic idea, particularly in the New Testament, is a sense of inward tranquility. It's freedom from fear and agitation, regardless of outward circumstances. All right. Inward tranquility, freedom from fear and agitation, regardless of circumstances. And all of that derived from this, this established condition of peaceful relationships between God and man. So Jesus, through what he did at the cross, created a condition of peace between God and man. That's why at Christmas we sing peace on earth, good will toward everyone, right, is because that's what Jesus was doing. By by taking our sin upon himself, he created a condition of peaceful relationship between God and man. We can enter into that by making Jesus the Lord of our lives, all right? And out of that knowledge and that understanding, that revelation that I'm okay with God because of Jesus, not because of me, out of that comes a peace of heart and a tranquility of heart where, you know, things things don't worry us. They don't get under our skin. Fear doesn't find a place to lodge in our life, all right? So then rest means, this word rest, and we're going to look at both of these as we go on here, means to cease from striving in self-effort. Cease from striving in self-effort toward your relationship with God. So it eliminates religious works as a, as a means of being right with God. It eliminates if I do this and do that and do all of this right and, and working and laboring to try and do everything right so that I can have this relationship with God. Well, that's not how it works. We have a great relationship with God because of what Jesus did. We have to receive it by faith. It is, a, it is an act of grace. So um, this rest... Is this place where we just stop striving after all of that, and also we stop striving to make all the different facets of our life work right? And and it again, let me read this to you. It's from uh, Vine's Dictionary. It says Christ's rest, the rest that we've been given, is not a rest from work but in work. It's not a rest from work. But in work. It's not the rest of inactivity, okay, but of the harmonious working of all the faculties and affections of will, heart, imagination, and conscience, because each of those has found in God the ideal place for its satisfaction and development. So in other words, your affections are engaged with God, your wills engaged with God, your heart, your imagination, your conscience, all of these things are engaged with God. And so, yeah, we're going through life. We're busy with the Lord. We are co-laborers with him. We are working with him. But in that, there's a place of rest. There's a, and you know, this has been demonstrated since the very beginning. God in creation took the seventh day, right, and rested from his labor. That's a picture of where we are supposed to live. The Old Testament idea of Sabbath, where everybody had to cease from work and trust God. I mean, back when they were in the wilderness, they also had to stop gathering food, and it would last through until the next day. It would last through, and, and there was this, so it's this picture of trusting God, and therefore being at rest. But it doesn't mean there's no activity. I hope this is making sense to you. It's it's a place where that Old Testament picture of Sabbath, now in the New Testament, tells us Jesus has become our Sabbath rest. It's something we should live in every single day. We can live in this place of resting in him. So all of these things are related, and all of these things come out of a place of faith and the reason i feel like this is so important right now this is always important but right now fear is being presented to us in a really increased measure and if you just look around and you spend any time on social media and you listen to the news at all you listen think you find that there are and i don't say this critically there are people who are absolutely terrified right now about their lives and whether it's about this virus itself or the effects of it going forward and all of that is serious but we fear is never your friend fear scripture tells us God has not given us a spirit of fear and the reason for that is because he doesn't have a spirit of fear to give he hasn't given us a spirit of cowardice a spirit of fear a spirit of agitation where we would live our lives in this place of just constantly being afraid of what's going to happen next how is this going to work out where how am i going to pay this bill how am i going to pay that bill how am i going to um how am i going to go forward beyond this am i going to get sick am i going to catch it am i going to do this you know there's just so much fear out there and honestly for me it just breaks my heart to see people in that place and I will admit it frustrates me when I see believers in that place because fear has no place in us. It should be not even be able to find a place in us. When, when we're met with a challenge like this, there are a lot of legitimate responses. There are a lot of, it is a serious situation. One of the good responses is compassion for people who are sick or are uh, alone in this and are housebound. There, there are just, we, we can have an outflow of generosity. We can respond to this in a completely different way. But, but if you're finding in your heart that fear's rising up, you just need to recognize, I'm not saying all of us have that happen. There's a temptation to fear, but don't take it in. Don't let it put roots down in your life, in your heart. You can guard your heart. You can stop listening to the stuff that's making you afraid and it's it's not the whole thing. Denial is not the whole thing, but sometimes we've got to shut out some of the voices and we've got to listen to his voice because listening to his voice will bring faith up in your heart and faith will produce peace in your heart. And then you can take whatever action you might need to take. All of us are changing some of the things that we're doing. But man, if you're finding fear, don't get condemned about it. Don't get a, you know, don't go that direction. But recognize this is an enemy. It wants to take down your life. And if you let it in, in this place, and you start repeating, believers, dear family, stop repeating all the garbage that is out there. Your words have a lot of power. You can communicate without projecting fear and depression or anger or you know whatever it might be, don't let that stuff get in you and start being abundant in your heart and pouring out. That's not helping the situation. We need to be people that are found walking through this in a place of faith, taking godly direction, doing what the Lord's showing us to do, and living a godly life through this. If everything that we said we believed a month ago was true then we need to just keep living it. We need to just keep living it. You can be free. If you're struggling with fear, you can be free. In the book of Job, one of the things, it's one of the biggest misunderstandings in the book of Job. The the biggest key to understanding that book and everything that happened to him is the statement that Job himself made, that the thing that I have so greatly feared has come upon me. All right. Both faith and fear attract spiritual activity fear attracts spiritual activity that you don't want in your life. Faith attracts the activity of the Holy Spirit. It puts us in that place of moving in God. And so fear is, it's just never your friend. All right. So I want you to look with me over at Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I don't have any of these verses up for you on the screen this week. Maybe by next week I'll be there. Mark chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 35. Very familiar story. Most of you Uh, We'll recognize this. It says, and I'm reading from the New King James here. It says, on the same day. So what does that mean? Okay, that day Jesus had been speaking. He had been teaching all day long with parables and other means. He had been teaching all day long. His disciples had been there hearing the word of God from the lips of Jesus all day long. All right, so they'd been in that place in the presence of God and under his word, right? It says, on that same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, I I just, this strikes me every time I read it. They awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose, notice this, he rebuked the wind. Remember that word rebuked. And said to the sea, peace, be still. The wind ceased, there was a great calm but he said to them, okay, so he, so he speaks, he rebukes the wind, he speaks to the sea, then he speaks to the disciples. <laughs> he says to them, why are you so fearful? In the Greek, it, it reads like, why are you such cowards or why are you so cowardly? Why is all this fear on the inside of you is what he's asking. How is it? It means, how is it possible that you have no faith. And they feared exceedingly, so this helped. No, this is they, you know, they, they feared reverentially here about the miracle they'd just seen and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? All right, so again, on that same day, so they'd been in his presence all day. They'd been in the presence of God. They'd been hearing his word. All right. And the question that comes out of them, this big storm comes up. It's very real. They're in very real danger. And the question that uh, comes out of them to the Lord is, don't you care? They, they essentially accuse God of not caring about them, not loving them, not caring about them. You know, this can be, uh, God, don't you care? If God's real, why would he allow you know, uh, if, if God, where are you? Can, you know, we addressed all this a couple of weeks ago. We addressed some of those ideas. Um, but it's frequently when things hit, when things hit the fan, okay, in our lives, people will ask, God, where are you? Don't you care? Do you even know this is going on? How come you're not here? You know, they ask those kinds of questions. And that's what the disciples asked at this point. And a lot of really bad doctrine has come out of that sense that people sometimes have in their hearts. What Jesus did, he didn't respond to that. He asked him a different question later. He didn't respond to that. God always cares. God is always there. He's made that really, really clear. But what Jesus did, he did deal with the problem before he began to dig into what was going on in their hearts. It says he rebuked the wind. The wind was the invisible force behind the waves that were battering the boat. So there was, a, there was something you could see and there was something behind it that you couldn't see. So this wind came up and it started bringing up these waves and battering the boat. He rebuked the wind what that means is, that word rebuke means to admonish strongly with urgency and authority. All right, Jesus rebuked the invisible force behind what was going on visibly. All right, we do that in prayer. We rebuke the demonic force behind something. You have to deal with the spiritual realm. We rebuke the demonic force that is behind what's hitting us physically. All right, this word rebuke means to restrain. I love this. It means to snort with anger or indignation and to charge strictly. So you can see Jesus wakes up and and all this is going on and his disciples are in a panic. He snorts with indignation. There's this righteous indignation like, who Satan, are you to throw this? And he rebukes the wind. And it just reminds me of, I always think of David's response when he came into that battlefield with the, you know, the armies of Israel being held off by the Philistines and this one giant. And and he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should resist the armies of God. I mean, he was just indignant about it because he knew that guy has no covenant. He has no right. He has no ability or authority over the armies of the living God. That same thing. Have you ever felt that? I mean, I've felt that a lot of times praying over things and over people. This indignation will come up that you know is just the Holy Spirit that just says, you have no authority here to do this. So Jesus rebuked that invisible force, and then he said to what was going on visible, he spoke to what was going on in the, in the natural, which we see him do this. He spoke to a tree too. Remember that? He, he spoke to it. And, and so he spoke to the visible result of the invisible force. And so this just means he spoke a word with quiet authority. He gave an instruction. He told the waves what to do. Okay. So Jesus responded to that natural circumstance by releasing the peace that allowed him to sleep in the back of the boat through a storm. How was it that he was asleep and everybody else was running around like chickens with their head cut off. How was it? It's because he had this peace that grew out of quality time with his father, out of relationship with his father, out of seeing and hearing what the father was saying and doing. Out of having that kind of relationship, Jesus lived in a place of peace. Uh, I've I've heard people say, You know, there was no storm where Jesus was, you know, he was in the storm, but in his heart, in his life, in his mind, there was no storm, there was peace. And the way that he dealt with that storm, he rebuked the wind and he spoke to the waves. But what he was doing through that was releasing the peace that was in him and a great calm came over that natural setting. It's um, that peace that was in Jesus and is ours by inheritance, that peace in you, the scripture tells us in more than one place in more than one way, is transferable to the outside world. Jesus talked, remember, about his disciples going into a home and he said, you know, if the the place is deserving, if they're receptive is what that means, you can release your peace into that home. And if they're not receptive, let your peace return to you. Okay, the peace of God that passes all understanding that can live in our hearts is transferable to the outside world. You can release that peace that's in you if you have it. You can release that peace to the world around you, to people's hearts around you. You can bring peace into somebody's home, you can bring peace wherever you go. You know, Jesus telling his disciples, When you go into a house, if they're receptive, you know, let let your peace flood in that house. The implication there is he expected his disciples to be carrying peace, not carrying fear. He expected that this was going to be their lifestyle, that they were going to be carrying peace. Let me read this to you from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, so that's gratitude, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I just feel like I need to go over and uh, let's read that. Read a little farther in that Philippians chapter four. So let that peace, which stands guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, I'm reading from the Amplified here. In verse eight, it says, finally, believers. So here's how you do that, all right? Because you're, you're sitting there, some of you are sitting there saying, well, that's great, but how do I have that peace on the inside? He gives us the instruction. Philippians chapter four, beginning verse eight. Finally, believers, whatever is true, 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 that, that means aligns with God's word, okay? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right, and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. Okay, the things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things in daily life, and the God who is the source of peace and well-being will be with you. Did you get that? You need to go back and read through that after we're done here. We need to think about what you're thinking about. What are you thinking on continually right now or any time? What are you thinking on? What are you implanting in your heart right now? This gives us a really good list, a really comparative list. We can look at this, and then we can look at what we're saying, what we're writing, what we're putting on social media. Does it line up with this? If you want the peace of God that passes all understanding, this is how you get it. You deal with your thought life. You deal with uh, with what you're thinking about, the conversations you're having. And if that means you have to cut off some conversations, well, that's part of the deal. That's part of what we have to do. There are there are people you don't need to be listening to. There are things, I, and you don't have to hate them. You don't have to talk. Don't talk bad about them, but don't let what they're putting out into you. you. You've got to be the one putting things out into them. All right, so very quickly, We've got a few minutes left here. Um, Rest, we've been talking about peace. I want to switch over to rest. This place of rest that I described to you earlier, this place of we're busy with Christ, but we have this rest in our hearts. We're not striving in our own abilities. That was God's original intention for, for the way that we should live. And it's still available to us. In the garden, okay, life was lived from trust and relationship with God. They were busy. They were they had they were taking dominion. They had stuff to do, but the trust was in God. They weren't trying to do it all in their own ability. All right. After the fall, God gave this gave the Sabbath as an image, as a as a picture of the rest He intended to bring for all time through Christ. All right. And then in the New Testament, in the Book of Hebrews, we're told that this faith rest is still available to us today. So let me give you a couple of verses on that. Hebrews chapter four, verse one. Are you still with me? Can't hear you. Are you still with me? That's better. Okay. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest, Christ's rest, still remains and is freely offered today, let us fear, that means let us be be cautious, you know, have have this in mind, in case any one of you may seem to have come short of reaching it or think he has come too late. The idea here, if you read, you need to read chapters 3 and 4 and the whole rest of the book, but um, the idea here is that we should never think that any promise from God is beyond our reach, or that we've missed it because we're not good enough, or God doesn't want to give it to us, he just gives it to others, that, that kind of thing. This rest is produced by faith in God, and faith in God is produced by hearing and receiving his word. You know, Romans 10, 19 makes it really clear. Faith comes by hearing, and that word is in the present continual tense: hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing God's spoken word to us. It's that conversational word, that Rhema word that He speaks to us. That's where faith comes from. Faith is not something that, you know, when Jesus asked his disciples back there, you know, he said, How is it that you have that you have no faith. He wasn't just mad because they'd waken him up. You know, some of us would get up, our hair would be all like this, and we'd be like, why are you bugging me? You know, that wasn't the deal there at all. He was asking a legitimate question of them. They'd been in his presence, hearing his word all day. And he was asking them, look at your hearts. How is it that you have no faith? Well, why did he ask that? Because faith comes by hearing the word of God. So we know from that, We can be hearing, but not hearing. We can be hearing, but not receiving. We can be, God can be speaking to us. We can be reading the Bible. Uh, We can be hearing good teaching, but we're not hearing. We're drifting off thinking about something else, or we're rejecting things because We don't want to change, or we don't want to believe them, or they're too good to be true, or whatever. I mean, there are lots of reasons we might do that. We can resist the word. There are all kinds of reasons that we could be sitting all day long. We're no different than they are. We could be sitting all day long in the presence of God, hearing his word, and come out with no faith. But we don't have to. If we're listening to what the Spirit of God is speaking to us, faith will be produced. It's not, faith isn't an emotional an emotion. It's not ever brought about by an emotional effort on our part. Well, I'm just going to believe. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to gut this out. And God, I'm going to believe you. No, just just have a relationship with him. Listen to him. Let him speak to your heart and re- receive what he implants in you. Faith will result and faith will produce peace that goes beyond understanding. It's like, it passes, I don't get it. I don't know why I'm at peace with all of this going on, but I am. It's God. All right, And from that, we can act, we can live in rest. We're walking with God. We want to do what he says to do. We don't need to feel like we have to do everything else that he's not saying to do. We just need to walk in what he's speaking to us. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense to you. So that implanted word will produce faith. It'll increase faith. It'll develop faith. It'll do all of that. And, and so here's the thing, and, then, and I just want to give you one more verse before we quit here today. Actions that are the fruit of faith. Faith produces corresponding actions. If you have faith arising in you, you'll begin to, to do, to expect, to anticipate, to live, to, to be uh, motivated, all these different things. Read Hebrews chapter 11. It gives you a whole list of things. Um, but actions that are the fruit of faith will carry the power and nature of the word that was the seed that produced the faith in the first place. I hope that, did you get that? Actions that are the fruit of faith. So if we go out and do something based on faith, all right, that action is going to carry the power and the nature of the seed that was sown in your heart, the word that was sown in your heart to produce the faith, whether that seed was of confidence, of healing, of provision, of expectation, of hope, of anything that God releases into your life through his word, as you live out of that, it's going to carry the same power that that word word carried. And so you're going to produce fruit. You're going to sow, you're going to release faith and peace and rest into other people's lives. Okay. Hebrews chapter four, verse two, all right, it says, this is from the Amplified. It says, For indeed, we have heard the good news of salvation preached to us, just as the Israelites also, when the good news of the promised land came to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not united or mixed with faith in God by those who heard. So the author here is comparing us hearing the gospel and all the promises of God to when Israel heard God's word of deliverance, but in them, this mixing of faith didn't occur. And so the word didn't produce anything in them. Now that word united or mixed, it's a, it's a get this, just, just stay with me, a Greek compound word that means to have something tempered together with something else. One thing tempered together. That tempered is the idea of something being heated and pounded and and changed into something else. This same word is used to refer to the individual believers. okay, The individual Christians being combined together into the whole body of Christ. We are one body in him. There's something spiritual that takes place. There's a spiritual release so that all of our individual lives in God's sight and in the spiritual realm, we are one body in him. This word speaks of individual parts being combined together into a new structure with superior characteristics. So what does that mean? It means when I hear the word, the spirit of God comes in. If I'm receptive to the word and I treasure the word, the spirit of God comes upon that word and upon me, and that word becomes a part of me. It's not just something I know over here, something I can repeat over there. It becomes a part of who I am. It begins to live in me and I in it, and we become one new life that with greater, stronger characteristics. It's just a powerful, powerful idea that we need to receive that word, will give you one more. Hebrews chapter four, verse three. This is from the Passion Translation. So just listen to this. This makes it so clear. They nailed it on this one. It says, for those of us who believe, faith activates the promise, activates the word of God. Faith activates the promise and we experience the realm of confident rest. The word comes, faith activates the word, and we experience rest or peace. Isn't that powerful? So we need to be people who are receiving the word. We need to be people, and I'm going to give you just a short list here. I know it's 1101. Really, this is short, Uh, but the Lord spoke. This is where this started. A couple of weeks ago, we were in here praying. Lord just gave me this list, so I need to give it to you, but a lot of people get confused about what faith is and isn't, and so let me just give you this. Faith does not need to reject good practical wisdom. Faith does not need to reject good practical wisdom, but it also does not see natural things as the ultimate authority and foundation for life. What does that mean? That means I can take medicine and still have my faith in God for my healing. It means I can we can stop meeting together for a little while while this thing passes over passes through let's not say passes over we'll take that up next week um while this thing passes through and we can and we can still have our faith completely in god we can still be engaged with god in the same way people struggle with this you know you can stay home for a while and still be the body of christ all right especially i think with the medicine thing a lot of people really have to work through that. It's like, well, if I'm in faith, why would I do this? Because it might make perfect sense for you to do that. If the Lord says, don't do it, don't do it. But if he says, do it, it's just all part of the healing process. So no biggie. Arrogance, number two, arrogance is not faith. Faith is not arrogant. We could say it that way. Anytime we begin to look down our noses at somebody else comparing our faith to them, we've moved out of love and faith works by love. So this is just something the Lord spoke to me. Faith is not arrogance. Arrogance is not faith, okay? People can get, you get caught up in this. You get caught up in, well, I believe this. They don't believe that. You just moved out of faith. You just moved out of love and faith won't function, all right? Denial is not faith, all right? Denial is not faith. God calls those things that are not as though they were. He doesn't deny the natural, he supersedes it. Okay, so sometimes we just want to, we think we're acting in faith when we say, this doesn't exist, this thing isn't here, that thing, well, you know, it, that's, not, that's not what Jesus did. He didn't say, the wind isn't there, the waves aren't there. He rebuked them. He dealt with them. He superseded what was going on in the natural. This one's really important. Mental assent is not faith, Okay. Mental assent is an intellectual agreement with what the word says. All right, it just—it's coming to the word and saying, "Oh, I see that Jesus heals. I believe that." Okay, that's mental assent. I agree. I, I intellectually, I agree with that. And that's good. It's not that it's a bad thing. It's that it's not faith. If faith takes hold and and is the title deed of the healing, faith is an intellectual agreement with what the word says, or I'm sorry, mental assent is that intellectual agreement. Faith is the result of a, a catalytic interaction between God's word and the Holy Spirit that releases a very supernatural confidence in your heart. And that confidence takes hold of the promise and says, it's mine now. So mental assent's a good place to start, but don't confuse it with faith. Don't think that just because you mentally agree with the word and then you can't understand why you can't grab the promise, stay in it. Let it work in your heart until faith actually is produced in your heart. And this is the last one. Passivity is not faith. Faith always produces corresponding actions. All right. So a lot of people will say, well, I have faith, so I'm just going to lay back and wait for God to do something. Jesus didn't do that in the boat. Jesus had faith. He got up and rebuked the wind and spoke to the the waves. He he did something. The faith will always motivate us. It'll move us to do something. So just passivity on its own is not faith. Okay. I hope that helps. Let's pray over this this morning. We got to quit, Father. We just thank you this morning for what you've done. I pray, Lord, that as we spend more time in this word, I feel like I kind of rushed it today. I pray that this word went into people's hearts. I pray, Father God, that Lord receptive hearts are receiving it and that as time goes on and as people are able, Lord, to spend more time with you over this, that you will bring the pieces of this that each of us need in our lives to each of us individually. We thank you for that. We receive it as your word. And Father, we just believe, Lord, as we go forward, we go into this community, into our world, wherever we're going, we go as the body of Christ. We want to go strong in faith. We want to go at peace. We want to be the people that bring that peace that passes all understanding. I pray for anyone who is in fear and agitation this morning, that that be broken right now in the name of Jesus and that your peace enter their hearts. I pray, Father, that any things that we are thinking on and continually setting our minds and hearts on that are not of you, you, that you'd bust us about it, Lord, and show us, Father, where to set our hearts and where to set our minds. And I thank you for that this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, got to go. Let's say this on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin of the world. And you guys, man, be blessed. Go out there and be the church. All right, one, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen.